Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to episode three of Off Air Does a Book. And this time around, we are talking about Boy Swallows Universe by the Australian writer and journalist Trent Dalton. And uh, we are thrilled that so many of you have been in touch with all of your thoughts and opinions and also just thrilled that you're joining in with Book Club. Yeah, because um, this was a book um, that a lot of people, including me, um, perhaps didn't find the easiest thing to read. So many of you stuck with it. And uh, I think actually many of you were glad that you had stuck with it. That's quite a, that's a, an overwhelming message, isn't it, from the emails we've had? It certainly is. And we're going to try and pack in as many of your thoughts and opinions as we possibly can into this edition. We We've also got an interview with Trent Dalton himself, but we will start with the thoughts of Jane Garvey. Jane Garvey, Bachelor of Arts, was a it was a low two two. Um, I, I have had it remarked, and it was an even lower two two. I'm so sorry. Yeah, but there you go. Uh, I did do English at university, therefore. I get first dibs here. Now, this book was published in the June of 2018. At the time, I knew nothing about it, but I now understand it was a major sensation across Australia, wasn't it? Much talked about, much discussed, loved by very, very many people. And if you go on the internet, you'll discover it was also loathed by a surprising number of people as well. Um, I think Trent, is it possible, we don't know how famous Trent Dalton was as a journalist, do we, in Australia? Is there a, a British comparison? Well, I'm not sure that there is, but I don't think it's... I don't really care about things like that when I'm well, reading I, a book, do you? I do, yeah. No, I, if if um, if I were to read a book by someone I knew to be an opinionated columnist, then I would absolutely... I would probably not be that objective about it. So I suppose that's why I'm interested in quite how he was viewed in Australia before he wrote this book. I find that type of stuff really distracting. I just want to get into a story and not have any anything on the, the kind of further horizon than what's mm. on the page. So that's interesting. Yeah, no, I, I just definitely would like to know a bit more. Well, I suppose that what's caused a lot of comment, uh, or caused comment back in Australia when it first came out, was that people were really shocked by the biographical elements of this book because they thought of Trent Dalton, who was by then in his 40s, as an accomplished middle-class 
type. And in fact, of course, this book reveals that he had the toughest start mm. imaginable. We need to just detail what the book is about, I mm. think, before we start chuntering away, because uh, we kind of make the assumption that you're with this edition of the podcast because you have read the book, but perhaps you haven't. So Boy Swallow's Universe is basically the story of two young brothers growing up in, I don't know how the correct terminology in Australia but in America you call it a housing project we would call it council housing or social housing in the UK they are not from a wealthy part of Brisbane and we meet Eli and Gus as they are dealing with their stepfather Lyle who they love enormously their mum who they absolutely adore but they're really dealing with their mum and their stepfather's decision to start doing a bit of drug dealing as a way to fund their own drug habit and uh, to fund their addictions and then their father is not in the picture initially because uh, because they've become estranged from him and there's definitely a story you realize at the beginning about why their mother left their father and it becomes clearer and clearer that it was a serious incident that involved putting the boys in danger. So the book starts, I think, with this, uh, as often a really, really good children's book starts with this sense that the kids have been rather abandoned, mm. you are living in their world and you are seeing everything through their eyes. And Gus is a elective or selective mute. We're not quite sure at the beginning. He's decided not to speak, so he writes everything as a form of communication kind of in the air yeah. around him just with his finger. And uh, parts of this book are complete fantasy and other parts of this book are absolutely true and events that really did happen. And unbelievably, uh, there is a character in the book called Slim Halliday who is uh, a former convicted murderer, although I think in real life he always claimed his innocence, um, who acts as the boy's babysitter. And he really existed uh, and he was a part of... Trent Dalton's childhood, which is just incredible. And he's a lovely example, I think, of what is really, really good characterization in the book because you do believe that he's a good man who's done bad things, which is sometimes a cliche when it's written, but he's really thoughtful towards the kids. They look to him for mm. friendship and everything that's missing from the their parents' ability to look after them properly. I've got to say, this isn't a book for the lazy reader. And I realise when I read books like this that I am quite a lazy reader. I'm, I'm, there's a part of me that rather enjoys being spoon-fed and I don't want to have to make... Uh, too many, too many decisions myself. I, I, I don't really. I, if I'm honest, I do struggle with books that verge from absolute fact into the realms of fantasy within a couple of sentences. Mm. I'm never going to pretend that I'd seek those books out. And if I'm honest, there were elements of this book that I did struggle with. So there's a room underneath Eli and Gus's house that the young yeah. boys decide that they're going to break into. That uh, is just a completely. A kind of dugout room with nothing else in it apart from a red telephone. Mm. And as you read through the book, the phone rings sometimes and there's a voice at the end of it and you are left thinking, is this magic realism? Is this just massive metaphor? Is it some kind of a dream? We'll hear a little bit more from Trent Dalton about it in our interview. But you see, I, I don't mind being challenged in a book at all. And what I really liked about this, Jane, because I don't enjoy magical realism whatsoever. I can't stand whatsoever but what I liked about this book is I think it took you right up to the 
it, it's it, it's like you're on the beach. You can dip your toes into a little bit of fantasy, but then you retreat back to the beach. You do not have to go into the water at all. It is not, mm. you know, one of those books where the plot is distended by magic at all. It's just this little element that when you reach the end of the book does get explained to you. So I didn't mind that. Yeah. But I just enjoyed the book more than you did. That's no, I mean, I think it is simple. I mean, I know it's it's coming to Netflix, as so many things do. Uh, it's coming to Netflix in the new year. And I am, I'm intrigued to, I will watch it just to see how they deal with those elements. I wonder in a way whether it might work better on screen than it does for me on the page. But I mean, it's these things are really personal and you, you are either going to be able to go with it or like me, you just, sort of sigh a bit and turn a page and wait till it gets back to the real life stuff again. Did you not enjoy the description of uh, teenage life in the suburbs of a major city somewhere in the 1980s. Yeah, no, that, that, you see, that, that's, but that for me is where, um, that's what, what, what I like about books. I mean, I didn't like The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe once they went into the wardrobe. I, I, I preferred it when they were just describing their real life at home. I just, I didn't really, and I, I, you, you're either, you've either got that mindset or you haven't. Mm. But um, I think his it's a dis- failing in me, I would say, not, not in authors. It's me. I can't go there. I thought he was so humorous sometimes about what it's like as a as a teenage boy and just all of those scenes when they're riding around on their bikes and they're just obsessed yeah. with cold drinks and you are you yeah. know before well, you Trent can... talks about the cold drinks <laughs> yeah. in the interview yeah. but before you have enough uh, money you know or or you know any kind of resources to to go and buy serious things your world you are obsessed with chewing gum sweets and cold drinks and i think all of that kind of detail in it even though i didn't know exactly what sodas they were drinking no. i really loved that and also the thing that really kept me going jane is um it doesn't matter how often these boys are let down by the adults around them and uh you know huge harm comes to lyle their stepfather because he gets too involved in drugs and tries to do a kind of backhand deal yeah, don't, the by the way, gang. don't get involved in drug dealing. Don't do, don't it doesn't, do drug it doesn't dealing. seem to end well for anyone. But Lyle goes and their mum ends up back in prison and they have to go and live with their dad and he's an alcoholic and his indifference towards them is just so bloody painful. Nothing really works out in their world, but it doesn't matter how much they are disappointed by the adults around them. Both Eli and Gus, particularly Eli, just keep going with mm. the sense of hope that somehow... When they get to the adult world, they'll be okay. And as an adult, you know that that's not always true. And they believe that somehow they can play a part in their own fate, which again, as an adult, Mm. you know children really can't. So I loved that theme of just endlessly believing. And it didn't matter how much the adults let them down, they just kept going. But that's the tragedy, isn't it? That children, however poorly treated, do have a heartbreaking tendency to be really loyal to yeah. their caregivers. And that's what makes made the book, it's, I thought, really, yeah. really fantastic. I mean, I should say as well, that if you if you only know Australia, and I've never been to it, have you been to Australia? Yes. I haven't been, and I, I don't really want to go, only because of the length of flight, which would be totally irrelevant. Um, the only Australia I know is The Thornbirds, Neighbours, and what was that really terrifying film about the girls' school and the disappearing girls that go off in the middle of the night? Oh, Picnic at Hanging Picnic Rock. Picnic at Hanging Rock. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of... Um, we assume that the sun is always shining, that on the whole everyone's got a swimming pool. Uh, and this is a very, very different side of Australia, isn't it? It it's, certainly is. It's the estates of Brisbane back in the 80s, and we'll hear it uh, described in a moment or two. There is a... Just on that, on that point, I think it's uh, Bish Dang 
who is the, 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 the local drug lord, the, yeah. the drug lady. Yeah. Oh, uh, yes, that's right. Yes, lady. She says this thing about how she thinks that Australians will never, ever be able to get out of their misery because their childhood is just so idyllic for exactly those reasons, that they have sunshine, they, uh, you know, they have beautiful places that are easily accessible. They believe themselves to be in charge. Mm. And so when you get to adult life and all of the reality of the world hits you, you're absolutely stuffed. But something else that I learned from this was that I did, I mean, I should have known this. I did not know that Australia played a part in the Vietnam War, that it sent a lot of troops there, that hundreds died. Uh, many, I, I, I gather now, were noted for their bravery in, in that conflict. Um, and I just didn't know about the impact of all that on Australia. I didn't even know it had a Vietnamese community. I, sh- I should have known that. And um, I think it's, it is a measure of how little we know sometimes about the rest of the world. Well, look, you see, you're learning, Jane. I'm learning as I go along. Right, let's do uh, some of your fantastic emails. This one comes in from Nick, and uh, this is about the length of the book, which quite a few of you have picked up on. Uh, She says, or he says, I do not know. I would likely not have picked up Boy Swallows Universe without your book club, so thank you for picking it, and for the cheerleaders who said stick with it. To start with, the blurb and the length were a little off-putting, along with the reviews which suggest it's Marmite. I started with the audiobook, but that wasn't for me, as I was struggling to get to grips with the characters and the storyline so I bought the book instead and I'm so glad that I did having had some trepidation at the start not least because I'm not keen on the abstract such as Gus writing in the air your end is a dead blue wren over and over that is a key part of the book well I I agree I agree with our correspondent I was however quickly bowled over by the characters and the story and I couldn't put it down I loved the warmth of the main protagonist I was cheerleading a potential murder and escape artist who was an excellent babysitter and that's the lovely character of Slim and Nick ends by saying it didn't all work for me Uh, the meaning of the big red telephone belongs in the English A-level literature class I left behind many (laughs) moons ago. And some of the characters, such as uh, Titus and Iwan, 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 felt a little bit clichéd. Overall, it's a 4.5 from me. And this is from Anne, who describes the book as a long old slog but she's finished it. Would I have chosen this book if I'd seen it in a shop or a library? No. Am I glad I've read it? I'm not really sure right now, she says. I found the subject matter harrowing, and even more so when I read the author's notes at the end and discovered it seems to be loosely autobiographical. The level of trauma was relentless, and the only thing that kept me going was the realisation that the children being raised in an environment like that have no other yardstick and so can still find joy and love in their lives as they know nothing different. It was well written, though, and the descriptions were so vivid I really felt I was immersed in the world of Eli and August, which wasn't an easy place to be. I'd be interested to know what your Australian listeners thought of the descriptions of suburban life. Um, Yes, well, we'll throw that one out there, Anne. It is worth saying, of course, that although the trauma is considerable in the book, um, at the end, the central character, Eli, is already working at a newspaper. He's got out. He's become the man he wanted to be, and he's continued in that vein so it's not altogether desperate stuff no is it's it? not bleak and the ending I think and we're going to get on to talk about this I think is slightly different to the rest of the style of the book actually and uh, it it starts turning into a really kind of uh, a very 
pacey, almost too done it, doesn't it? Mm. Yes, yes. You you do need to keep going because there is a pacey and satisfying conclusion. Uh, This answers some of your questions about how Australians might feel about it. This comes in from Sophie Cockcroft who says, I would have given up on this book in the first third. I'm not usually into dark, macabre stories, but after halfway, it gripped me. And the reason is I lived in Brisbane for 20 years. I know clearly the places described, such as Boggo Road and Sumner Park, even Jindalee High School, where one of Eli's crushes goes. I lived about 10 kilometres away from the drug-addled suburbs where the action is set. I had absolutely no idea why all my work colleagues seemed to be so snobby about those suburbs south of the river. I can't say I loved the book, but it was very evocative of Brisbane. Some colleagues had grown up in this kind of environment and worked themselves out of it, as presumably Trent Dalton did. And she goes on to say, in 2020, I had a job that required me to take a train down from Indooroopilly to Ipswich. The whole feel of the suburbs just changed as the train left the city. Each five-minute stop brought the house prices down by about $50,000. And by the time it got to Dara, Fibro, that's weatherboard and asbestos houses, lined the railway tracks and cars could be seen abandoned in driveways. It was still rough. And she goes on to say, I'll definitely watch the series when it comes out, if only for a taste of my adopted home. Well, that's fair. that's a really great email, that one. Thank you very much for that. What was the name of that uh, correspondent? Uh, our correspondent is Sophie Cockcroft. Thank you, Sophie Cockcroft. Adopting the book club, Book Voice. Thank you. OK, let's hear from the author, Trent Dalton, um, because here he is. He was, by the way, lovely and charming and so grateful to all of you for taking the time to read it and to take part in the book club. But here he is taking us to his Brisbane back in his adolescence in the 1980s incredibly multicultural Australia first off but we're at the beginnings of what we are now in the 1980s particularly in my home city Brisbane highly corrupt so that story that you might have read boy um, is a family caught up in crime this is all true like you know my you know my mum fell in love with this guy and he was on the fringes of a very dark kind of connected criminal sort of um connections around the city of Brisbane, which was run by a government that was highly corrupt. So by the 19, in the 1970s, it was just, well, from about the 50s to the 60s to the 70s. So Slim Halliday, who was a real guy in my life, like I call him the babysitter in, in my book. It's not quite that. He was just around our house like all the time. And uh, the guy Lyle, um, who's the, you know, the first man I ever loved, he, he, he paid Slim money to do odd jobs just to keep him in employment after he got out of prison. Those two guys met in Boggo Road Men's Prison. And, um, and, uh, but they were both on the fringes of this corrupt Queensland where you had cops on the payroll of dodgy politicians and dodgy gangsters and incredibly corrupt, um, scary place. And in the mid 1980s, we're starting to see the change of that. So, this, um, yeah, some great police officers and great, great, uh, premiers came in and just sort of swept all that away and sort of it brought it, came a lot, a lot of great journos brought that to light here in Brisbane. Um, and, uh, you know, places like the Courier Mail that I went to work for, um, that Eli Bell goes to work for, you know, really exploded some of that stuff. And uh, yeah, so so this is, Boyce Wallace University is a story of a family caught up in the wider picture of a corrupt state that's still finding its feet. You know, and this is, so mind you, okay, cut to like 2023, we're about to host the Olympics. Like that's how far this city of mine has come. Like we were just considered such a like a backwater in many ways and people thought we talked slow and uh like Queenslanders talk too slow and all that like down in Sydney you know and we were considered as the slow upper cut you know uh, cousins are up in the north you know and it's sort of 
by the 1990s started to become some really great novelists and then by the 2000s we found our real you know and by the by the 2020s you know i i think some of our leading writers are coming out of my city and we're all writing about we're all products of that world that i'm describing to you you know and um and i'd never read you know, working class stories of this of the Brisbane that I knew, which was housing commission, sort of social housing Brisbane, which is something I was very familiar with. Them, there's a lot of parts of Brisbane, um, really sweet, you know, jacaranda trees, these purple jacaranda trees that we have here in Brisbane. A lot of people wrote about that, and I was always going, "How come no one's ever writing about the housing commission sort of homes that I knew?" You know, the like your version of estates, or you know, those yeah things I'd read about so much in your part of the world is sort of I thought oh you know can can I read some of those sort of stories and I'm really proud that like so many people here in my city read Boyce Wells Universe and go oh wow thanks for finally writing about my 1980s. Can I ask you a bit more about Gus he is a really intriguing character and has elective mutism and Mm. the ability to see the future which actually casts him uh, in the run of a lot of characters in great literature who have that kind of soothsayer ability. But yeah. did you as a writer ever worry about leaning into that too much? Because you you can take that too far, can't you, where you don't really need a plot because you can just say this person has magical powers, they've seen the future. I mean, it's quite hard to do. And I think you pull it off, but it is hard to do. Yeah, it is definitely. I, I consider, you know, a lot of people say, oh, there's a, I love the touch of magical realism in it. And I just don't even think it's the case. I don't, I, I, I consider magical thinking from my own childhood. I'm, I'm honest, like there were, you know, there's blood on the walls and there's holes in the fibro and you're looking at a golden orb weaver spider out your window. Like that's, that's just a choice, you know, and, and it's a magical choice for a kid to do who's, who's, who's just life is just swirling, right? There's just, you know, there's drugs and alcohol and all that. And you're choosing to find the magical thing. And, so that's all that's just realism that's just real to me that type of stuff and i leaned into that because you know i had this brother one of those three beautiful brothers of mine there were there were three different versions of the you know of of gus my brother jesse had all the wonder he's like oscar wilde if he had to grow up in a social housing area in brisbane brackenridge brisbane um there's obi-wan kenobi my brother ben who was just all the wisdom and then my older brother joel who's king arthur he was the guy who shouldered it all and and got us through in a in a strength way and uh and he's absolutely amalgam of that but this guy jesse in particular like he would do all that drawing in the air stuff you know if if you remember gus he does that that was my beautiful boy jesse who just and we dream and and it was to him that like you know that if if i ever fantasized about busting into bogo road women's prison to like see my mum in real life, like on on Christmas Day when I'm like eight years old, it was to Jesse, you know, and and we would dream that sort of stuff. And so this book was all of those magical thoughts that I never got to fulfil, you know what I mean? But the thinking of them is very real to me, you know what I mean? So it's sort of, yeah, but you're so right, Fee, that you don't want, if you, I really tried to tread lightly about that, but a lot of his selective mutism is is me. That was me when I was a boy. As all this stuff was going on, I just watched everything, and I barely said a word, a word before I was eight. And plus, because I had three very boisterous older brothers, but also just I think I was just constantly on edge, just watching stuff go down, and kind of always um, silently watching and observing. And then you know, of course, I'd become a journo. Like it's this the perfect training, you know, for um, you know an observer to to go into the field of just taking notes and watching people. And did you, Trent, have a teacher who looked out for you? Ah, uh, 
countless Jane. I went to a place called Nashville High. It's now called Brackenridge State High. And surely, well, here's the coolest thing about writing books. You don't know, you know, I was a bit of a, um, I wasn't the best student. Like, and, and, and I'll tell you something that happened. So Shirley Adams was my teacher, English teacher. She's 90 now. And um, I wrote a book called Love Stories, um, my second book after Boy Swallows Universe. And I sat on my, on the busiest corner in my street with a sign saying sentimental writer collecting love stories. I sat there for two months on a on a typewriter, an Olivetti typewriter that was bequeathed to me by my best friend's mum. And I sat there for two months and I wrote this big sweeping book called Love Stories. And it was all just collected stories of random 150 people stopped in my city and just told me love stories. I, anyway, I got to send that book to my English teacher, Shirley Adams, who was essentially, you know, really that that amazing teacher who comes around and and kind of helps the boys in that moment. She has to kind of, con- she's kind of urging their dad to kind of, come on, come on, you got to dig in now and look at, like, that's all true, Jane. Like, don't even get me started. I'll get emotional talking about that. That is my old man sort of battling his demons to kind of, in real life, that's so true. Like, he's the reader and like all that stuff about piles of books and stuff. That's my old man just getting these, like, St. Vincent de Paul sort of, you know, op shop um, books and just piling them up in our house and we could, you know, take your pick. Merry Christmas, here's a $2 paperback type thing. But that, all that, that's that's these teachers at Brackenridge High coming around our place and going, hey, like we think these boys are are destined for something. We don't know what it is, but if they can stop being smart asses and, and uh, stop being so miserable and trying to um, and stop staring out the window all the time, they might actually sort of do something um Worthy, uh, worthy of even the stuff that you're passing down to them. This guy, my beautiful dad, Noel, always passed down. You know, always read a book and all that sort of wonderful stuff, and it all comes from that. And that's the that's the great tragedy. Actually, he died of like cigarettes and uh, like smoking too much, and uh, and he never got to see. You know, like that that's so true. That Robert Bell character, like his love of books, but he, you know, he never got to see his son's book in a bookshop, and that's like, but you know, let alone him talking to you guys, you know, like him him hearing me talk to you guys would just be one of the greatest things for him ever, you know. And so, stop it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't no, know. I could true. hear more of this. It's fine. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, no, no. It's true. It's, uh, true. it's interesting, and um, the divide that you see between us as Brit readers and uh, your own readers in Australia, because actually I think the detail uh, is kind of universal in the book, but there are those glorious currencies of uh, particularly cold drinks amongst the young boys, aren't there? And I didn't recognise a single one of those, but I kind of know what they are. But also you've got it. Yeah. Yes. Oh, no, no, definitely. Definitely. And I don't, and I think actually for me, that was one of the joys of reading the book was that it isn't set in a world that I automatically know. So, you know, it, it keeps you intrigued. Katie, though, I have to ask you this question. She wondered, Trent, why there were so many mentions of the word bitumen. <laughs> what's like, what's bitumen for you guys over there? Like, what? Well, I think it's just is tarmac, it? is it? Is it tarmac? Yeah. Tarmac. Tarmac. Yeah. tarmac. Yeah, it's quite a, really? it's, so it's, you... a, it's a smell that most people would recognise. Yeah, but yeah. you do, you do make, you reference it. You She's do. right. You do reference it a lot. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, Katie. That is so brilliant. Love to you, Katie. That is so funny. Um, but yeah, yeah, bitumen, bitumen roads, bitumen streets, like like grazers from bitumen on my kneecaps, like just bitumen as part of my DNA. Like it's like, yeah, Tom, that must be like go out and you know, pl- yeah, play cricket on the you know, kick a kick a footy around around the, on the bitumen. Yeah, and it's like, oh, but see, what I'm getting at with that stuff is just. Like that is my that is my sacred places, you know. Like hot tar 
in summer Brisbane, um, you know, baking heat so hot, you, it looks like an oasis in a desert and and you're having a, a, a can of Pasito and inside is a drug deal or something happening. And you know that it's happening, but you're just focusing on your passion fruit soft drink <laughs> and your billabong chocolate ice cream. And it's summer, it's melting over your fingers and you're you're just, you, that's all you need. And And it's like, what I'm getting at is those, you know, when you're going through that stuff, those simple things, those simple things as a like a $1 soft drink becomes, you know, yeah, truly sacred. And But that's its place. And it, I, I have this thing wherever I write, I do these, you know, I call this thing, I have a piece of paper on my, um, on my, near my computer and I say five cents it. It's so ridiculous. It's like three words, like five cents it. Like if I'm struggling to evoke a scene, it's five cents it. Like what is the passion fruit soft drink? smell like what does it taste like how sticky is it um what does it mean to you and then and then if you have all those things then you get to what i call the sixth sense which is nothing to do with like spooky stuff i'm talking about love and the soul and and like just all those important things that remind us why we're here so if you get all those five right you might nudge towards that sixth one which is sort of what i'm trying to get at by the very last page of that book Do you worry that those things will get lost when it uh, turns into TV? I mean, it has turned into TV, hasn't it? Netflix are yeah. doing it. So do, as a writer, do you do you worry a bit that that glorious detail goes? Yeah. Yeah, you do, Fee. Yeah. You, um, it's it's a really um, – it's a trust exercise. And, and I did just make one request, and I tried not to really – put my stamp on that show at all. And they have made this eight-part epic and it's kind of coming your way. Like it's going to like 150 countries across the world, which is just surreal to me. And a power of, as you say, like universal storytelling that I was really worried. Like, um, you know, uh, how does this place called Dara, Brisbane, Queensland, Australia translate to anywhere overseas? But you're right. You go through that granular um, kind of universal touchstones that we all know, you know, that's how you connect. But um but I just said to them, please make sure um, you capture a certain light that we have here in Brisbane at 5 p.m. on a summer's day and capture a certain sap on a tree. And if you keep capturing those little things like I tried to do in the book, it'll 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 feel like that, you know. And because um, it's, it's very important um, that you get back to the main thing I wanted to say to them, though, please just remember that this isn't some sort of. Australian gangster epic. It's 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 a it's an epic Australian family story, and uh, and you know talk about universal stuff. Like I I told all the filmmakers this. I said um, I I have this message um, that I get. I, I got on. I received in my DMs on Instagram, and it was from a South Korean reader. Right, this boy. He's like fifteen, and he read the South Korean, the Korean translation of Boy Swallows Universe, and he sent me this message, and he goes um. Trent, I have no idea where Dara, Brisbane, Queensland, Australia is, but I just want you to know I read the Korean translation of Boy Swallows Universe, and because I read that book, I've decided to live to adulthood. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh. And it, yeah, right, right. I know that's exactly, it gives me chills when I say it, and I just go, that is so powerful. And it's like, that's a South Korean kid reading about Eli and Gus and Slim and all these just Brisbane people who are, troubled and kind of working hard to sort of find their way and you know i just found that anyway i just kept on really reiterating that type of thing to the filmmakers and just going please remember that and uh that's what you're doing here and now there's a chance that like even so many more 15 year olds across the world um might see that and kind of kind of take that message and that's that's very powerful 
In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. That was Trent Dalton, who is a delight to talk to uh, on the old Zoom. And genuinely, he seems just delighted that people are taking an interest in the book uh, all over the world, which is brilliant. And obviously, I wonder, we shouldn't, we didn't get on to asking him whether he'd have played any part in the old Netflix adaptation, whether he's in charge of it, whether he's had a say on who plays who and... Be interesting to know, wouldn't it? But we didn't ask him, so yeah. it's too late now. But sometimes writers get really fed up with that question, don't they? Because that you know they've written this beautiful thing yeah. that's come out of their imagination, and all anybody wants to know is, isn't Nicole Kidman in it? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she is. No. Well, so it uh, can't. My really. apologies it can't for the accent. There. My apologies, everybody. There's a hint of Smethwick about that. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I thought that the way the conversation ended there with Trent just talking about that young reader in South Korea, somebody who read this book and felt uh, felt seen and felt heard and has now decided I think maybe adulthood is something mm. I want to have a taste of. Yeah. And that's brilliant. So I, ju- I think that's what's really, really lovely about the writing. Wherever you are on the spectrum of a discontented or abusive childhood or just a disappointing childhood, uh, you know, anyone who's ever been a kid and been disappointed by an adult, and I think that's probably 98% of the population, I think you just, you so root for Eli and Gus. I think they're really... I just think they're beautifully well-drawn, naive characters, if mm. that makes sense. Yeah. That I think if you were reading it as a much, much younger person, and actually I think teenagers would enjoy the book just as much as us extremely elderly by comparison people. Because uh, it's not there are no barriers to entry. It's not written in a terribly kind of affected style of prose or... Uh, anything like that. Well, but you see, I think I looked up the Times original review, actually, uh, which described it as having an idiosyncratic prose style. 
And interestingly, in the book, when Trent's character, uh, Eli, becomes a journalist, he disappears slightly up his own fundament and his own editor at the newspaper tells him off mm. for being a little too flowery in his language, uh, which might be his way of acknowledging that some people might find the start of this whole book a bit too much for them. Yeah, possibly. I love the detail, you know me. Yeah. Give me an adjective and I'll turn it into four. <laughs> uh, shall we talk about uh, the characters and the content? Uh, this one comes in from Liz, who wishes us a very Merry Christmas. You too, Liz. Uh, after finally tracking down the title, I dived into this book and thoroughly enjoyed it. Congratulations to Trent. I'm exactly like another one of your listeners who wrote to say that they love reading but can never think of anything intelligent to say about a book afterwards. We are here for you, Liz. Just listen yeah. to us. <laughs> we haven't got a clue. We just like books. My thoughts and feelings about the book was that it was full of really likeable characters. Eli, August, the mum, Slim, Lyle, and even the dad to an extent. And I found myself really rooting for Eli and August and being unable to put the book down until I knew that they'd survived their horrendous upbringing and were able to function as independent adults. An interesting point here, though, Jane. My only critique was that I found it a little unbelievable that they may it to school at all, considering they live with their alcoholic father who couldn't even feed them, let alone register them in a school and make sure they attended every day. But I did love the unravelling of the moon pool backstory and how we were left to decide for ourselves whether August had special powers or it was just a result of their childhood trauma and PTSD. See, I think it was the latter. I think it's your brain just telling you that you have superpowers to cover up for the fact that quite a few times in your life you really haven't. I also, I think it's worth saying, and Trent does say in the interview, um, the help he got from teachers. So sometimes it is a miracle that some kids get to school. And um, I know it's not unknown in this country, and I'm sure it happens all over the world, that there's a, a member of staff, that certainly was at my children's primary school, whose job was to get the children to come to school. You know, he'd head out to houses and make sure that they came, <laughs> as simple as that. Um, and there are there were teachers in Trent Dalton's life who really looked out for him. You know, sometimes, I'm sure I've said it before, but we just don't appreciate teachers enough. Mm. Um, they can be quite, they play such a big part in making sure that um, every child um, does have a chance at education. Um, this is a lovely email from Anna, who um, is a professor, although she says, I'm a scientist and I'm not very good at writing eloquently, like many of your talented listeners. Um, can I just say, Anna, that no male professor would, would say that. Own it, girl. You're a professor. You don't have to apologise to us for describing yourself as not very good at writing because, by the way, you're also really good at writing. Uh, Anna says, I loved this book. Uh, it surprised me, though, after your tentative warnings to just try to get through the first couple of pages and stick with it. It was much more fascinating and emotional than the previous two books suggested for your book club. It described the gritty reality of two boys growing up in the very tough suburbs of Brisbane. Naively, I hadn't really thought of any city in Australia having areas of deprivation. I was fascinated by the original and realistic images of Eli and his mute brother living amidst extreme poverty, crime and violence, while still finding pockets of love and humour and happiness. That is reality for a lot of people, and I think it's important we try to understand that some people are born into this type of lifestyle. I also love the intriguing links in the chapter titles and the potential surreal component with the red phone in the room. It isn't the type of book I would read, uh, very similar to Demon Copperhead, in fact. So I'm now ready for some nice Elizabeth Strout novels about middle-class life in Maine. 
uh, okay, well, well, we'll see if we can sort of head in that general direction next time we choose a book. But Anna, thank you very much for your um, involvement. We appreciate it. Uh, and I completely understand that desire to dive into books that uh, kind of affirm your own mind and you know the the way that you live. Uh, but I guess what the book club exists to do is to slightly push that, push that around a bit, Jane. Uh, there are two here that mention uh, the book by Barbara Kingsolver, Demon Copperhead, as being better examples of young boys really up against it in the world. Uh, this one comes from Wendy, who says, I've just struggled to finish Boy Swallows Universe. When I got to page 152, I wondered if this violent and gory book was really your choice. Too much for me. I've just read Demon Copperhead by Barbara Kingsolver, also the tale of a boy growing up amidst drug and alcohol abuse and domestic violence set in... Uh, it's Appala the Appalachian, Appalachian Mountains, isn't it? Yeah. In the opioid crisis, uh, this one is clever in that it references David Copperfield. Uh, and it's a similar point from Claire, who very much enjoyed Demon Copperhead, too much more than this book. And to coin a phrase, Claire says there was too much dick waving. Even the old man gardening have to, <laughs> to have his wrinkly old dick out. That's apparently page 320. Uh, <laughs> by way of further explanation, I only finished this book because I was on holiday Otherwise, I would not have given my precious time to it. Uh, and Claire says, I can hear Fee in her measured, tolerant way, extolling the importance of hearing what men are saying. But for me, it wasn't just that the only male view was represented, but there were no strong female characters either. I have to confess, I didn't even really notice that as I was reading through. Well, but there was some because the I'm sure you're right, Claire. Uh, there was the teacher. The teacher was definitely. The teacher was good, and Caitlin Spy is obviously yeah. there, and his mum. And his mum, well. Well, she kind of. She tries of to be there. Yes. She tries to be there. Mm. I, I take the point. I mean, actually, I'd, I'd forgotten about the gardener, so thanks for that reminder. <laughs> it's been a while since I read it. So, yes, but the gardener does. Anyway, uh, yes, I, I take your point and all views are welcome. Uh, so the book is Boy Swallows Universe and it's by Trent Dalton and that's been our book club pick. And so far, it has been the one that has attracted the biggest response. So uh, for that, um, well, we need to acknowledge that, don't we? Um, however weighty it was, people wanted to get involved, which is brilliant. Absolutely. Uh, can I just say thank you to Tamsin, who says she's still in Thailand? Is she? Yes, she is. Is she ever going to come back? I don't know. More detail needed, Tamsin. Uh, if Trent comes in to chat on your show, could you ask him what gets good? And this is because she's had a book signed by Trent Dalton and it says, it gets good. Always love Trent Dalton. Uh, and Tamsin says, must I persevere if I don't like the beginning of it? <laughs> or does he mean that life gets good? Thanks again. I think it's life. I think it's both. Uh, definitely life, because that's the kind of message of the book, isn't it? Yeah. Because he ends up working for the same employer as us. I mean, you know. <laughs> so life gets very good. <laughs> What's not to like there? Uh, so, would you go on to read another book by Trent Dalton, Jane Garvey? Well, he talked, um, I don't know whether it's made the final edit of the interview, but he read, he's written a book called Love Stories, hasn't he? Yeah, he sat on the yeah. corner of a street in Brisbane and, and set collected. up a little table mm. and a typewriter and asked people uh, wandering by to tell him their love stories mm. and wrote them all up. Which sounds like a really good concept. Yeah, I'm definitely going It's a to, world full of books, Fee. To try more full of, of books. his writing. So I think what I like about his writing more than anything is, you know, probably some of the stuff that puts people off, which is the sometimes rather over 
full-blown prose, the really detailed descriptions. When he talked in the interview about covering all of the five senses to get to the sixth sense as a writer, that really made sense to me as a reader. So I love a writer who absolutely takes you into the room and describes how it smells and what they're feeling and everything. That's the kind of writing I like. I don't really like very sparse stuff where you have to... Uh, kind of put your own intellect onto it. I think I read to get to get away from the void. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I I keep reading a book because I like the typeface. I mean, you know, I'm really weird. <laughs> So, and sometimes I've enjoyed books more than I expected to because I love the print. <laughs> so, well, that is a bit yeah. Strange. No, that's that's um, that's a terrible confession. So, um, Trent Dalton has been wildly successful on the strength of this book, and obviously has many more books in him. And I genuinely, I'm interested to see what he comes up with next. He's done love stories. Has there been anything else? I forgot to Google this. Oh yeah, no, he's written um, quite a lot. Yeah, has no, he? He's, it'll say in the beginning of, of okay. your book here. Um, but I think he still uh, he's he still writes just as a journalist as well, doesn't he? Um, so can we say a huge thank you to whoever it was who suggested the book in the first place? Uh, and we will now be taking thoughts as to what we're going to read next. And I know that my colleague over here is very much hoping uh, that somebody just recommends. Well, what did you say? A slim thriller. <laughs> slim thriller set in East West Kensington. No, don't, because the whole point is we're trying to read outside of our comfort zone. Well, zones, I mean, the book Jane. I wanted to talk about because it's had such a lot of attention is Claire Kilroy's book, but it's still not in paperback, so I don't want to go to a book that's not in paperback. No, and we can't recommend things because the whole point of the book club is that our listeners recommend stuff to us. No, although I will just say, as this is for book lovers, this podcast, let's face it, I'm reading a book at the moment called A New Life which was recommended in the Times newspaper. And it all I'll say about it is quite extraordinary. Set in um, 1894, it's about two men who get together to write... Well, they haven't actually got together yet to write this book, but it's about essentially a married man who knows he's actually gay but really hasn't had the option to be gay. And two women also fall in love. And it's astonishingly weird in the best possible way. And also, very erotic. I've said it. And it's out now. So if anyone wants to pursue that, do so. Okay. Uh, it's by an author called Tom Crew. Is that one to read on your own? <laughs> <laughs> Can I take it on a romantic weekend or might it be misinterpreted? Um, oh, I think it might be just the job, actually. Right, uh, so we'll take all of your suggestions. I would say as well that we won't bother to even start reading anything until after Christmas because everybody has got a list as long as their arm uh, and we don't intend to add to it. So uh, bung us your suggestions and we will decide the next book in the new year. Does that make sense? No, it does. And we'd welcome suggestions from outside the UK because um, as long as the book is easily available, whether through a library or in paperback, that's what we're mm. after. And if you think about the ones that we've done so mm. far, so uh, I know that you didn't enjoy Fresh Water for Flowers, but it took you to France. It took you to uh, places in to France. To a cemetery. That most books don't take you to. Uh, cemeteries. We have learnt loads about Nigeria through My Sister the Serial yep. Killer, and now we've learnt lots and lots about Australia. So this is fantastic. I'm enjoying all of the recommendations. So yes, if we could go abroad again. Yeah. That would be nice. Travel without a passport. Wonderful. No, don't do that. It's illegal. <laughs> oh, yeah. That does explain why I've never got very far. <laughs> yeah. 
We're bringing the shutters down on another episode of the internationally acclaimed podcast Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times Radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Henry Tribe. But don't forget that you can get another two hours of us every Monday to Thursday afternoon here on Times Radio. We start at 3pm and you can listen for free on your smart speaker. Just shout Play Times Radio at it. Uh, You can also get us on DAB Radio in the car or on the Times Radio app whilst you're out and about being extremely busy. And you can follow all our tosh behind the mic and elsewhere on our Instagram account. Just go onto Insta and search for Jane and Fee and give us a follow. So in other words, we're everywhere, aren't we, Jane? Pretty much everywhere. Thank you for joining us. And we hope you can join us again on Off Air very soon. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.